Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training, Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Aditamara. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Emerging Importance of Telemedicine, Telehealth Appointments in Communicating with Your Healthcare Team. And this really is um, something that many of you are familiar with, and we wanted to go over all the nuts and bolts of it so that you're really most familiar with all the details of it. Today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support to this program and of our programs as well. And now um, I would like to let you know about the who, who's on this call today. Um, we have wonderful speakers who I'll be introducing soon. But there's all about 203 of you on the call today. So we're a very large audience, and you come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities, so really from different regions of the United States. We also happen to have a number of people from um, other countries on the call today, um, from international countries, from Austria, Canada, Egypt, Malaysia, Poland, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a bit of a global call as well. It is a global call, actually. And we're delighted to have all of you with us today. Um, you are clearly a group of information seekers, and um, we're really happy to have you with us today. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I do want to ask you all a few questions. And the reason I want to do that is because, you know, we're planning a lot of programs going into 2022, and it's helpful for us to know what you know about this topic um, or any of the topics we do. We've been doing this in all the programs. Um, so that we're sure that we're planning programs that best meet your needs. So I'm going to, and for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the questions and you'll be able to rate them as well. On a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I know who the members of the healthcare team are and tips to improve communication with the healthcare team in the context of COVID-19 and experience. And the second question is, I know how to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and who to include in these appointments. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know how to discuss treatment options, side effects, pain management, other chronic illnesses, and how to reduce harmful drug interactions that may impact cancer treatment. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. I understand the technology I need to set up a telehealth telemedicine appointment with my doctor's office and who to contact evenings, weekends, and holidays with their contact information. And then this will be the last question. I understand clinical trials as a treatment option. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps us to really have a better understanding of what you know as you um, join this program. And now, it's really my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor of Cutaneous Cancers 
Medical Oncology Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing the emerging role of telehealth telemedicine appointments to decrease your exposure to COVID-19 experience, determining three key questions to start at the start of your appointment with your healthcare team, discussing your treatment options, side effects, pain management, and clinical trial options, and do you have the needed technology working with your doctor's office to set up needed technology before your appointment? And now it's my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you, Dr. Messer, for that introduction, and it's my great honor and pleasure to be here with you today, along with my esteemed colleagues, Dr. Palos and Dr. Fleischman. Uh, it's always great to be on a podium with them, uh, because I personally learn much as they speak as well. Uh, in the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about telemedicine and its explosive growth uh, in the area of COVID. Now, why is this telemedicine thing uh, important? Why has it taken off the way it has? There are certain advantages to it. Telemedicine is a remote way where uh, you, the patient, uh, and a patient and a caregiver can have an interaction with your medical team uh, without having to travel to the site. So you have a decrease in travel, and in this area of COVID, decrease in exposure to the, the world outside, and especially in places uh, uh, like uh, like hospitals in which uh, you know you you have sick people convening in that location, uh, and we think that it improves access. Uh, but you have to realize that although there are some great advantages to this and flexibility to the, uh, to the when you can do this, uh, th th there are some imperfections to it which are inherent in this whole area. The first of which is, is technology. And uh, it is a daunting task when someone says to you, we're going to do a televisit, and then you've never had done one before. In many of our clinics, uh, it is contingent upon the clinical staff to reach out to you when that happens, uh, or you should empower yourself to ask to call in and say, it's my first televisit, what do I need? What we do as a matter of course in our own practice is to have someone who's dedicated to reaching out to patients to make sure that they know what's happening, make sure that they can see their appointments. Oftentimes these require uh, uh, technology, some piece of equipment, and so part of their job is to reach out to you to determine what that is. And in this world, we talk about things like smartphones and tablets and things like that. Um, and I have to tell you, that's very difficult. Uh, uh, my mother's 90 years old, and I've got her an iPad to help us all through this COVID pandemic. And I have to tell you, it was a bit of a chore to get her up to speed. Uh, usually, it's uh, her uh, 16 and 14-year-old uh, grandson can help her with it more, more than I can. So it's the nature sometimes of what you're exposed to in the everyday world. But reach out if you have any doubts. And part of the best practices that we have is that we reach to you to make sure that things are well. There's something else as well, not just technology, but also location and setting. So we tell folks to be in a place that's private. Uh, of course, there's great flexibility in, um, in where you can do this, but it's very important to have a private situation. And, and a, a stark example of that is that in my field where we do a lot of work with immunotherapy, we, we talk a lot about GI function. So, you know, uh, maybe not such a great idea to be talking about your bowel habits in open public. At least it's 
disconcerting and discomforting to everyone around you. So we need to be able to talk frankly. And you need to find a place that's quiet as well. So uh, so hardware and uh, also location is important. Now, as you get to the actual uh, meeting itself, uh, you know, I think it's very important to to sort of have a few things in hand. And, uh, and we talk about having three areas or three questions that you should really sort of prepare yourself for. And I tell my own patients, write things down. And more importantly, uh, have things that are important to you, right? So I'll give you an example. I'm an oncologist, and we're very focused on treating the cancer. However, uh, the impact of what we're doing to you is very individualized. I had a patient who uh, was a uh, 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 restaurateur and, uh, you know, a gourmet chef, and one of the choices we had was therapies that would uh, cause a change in the way you could taste food, so that was important to them. We had someone else in which they were very much dependent on manual dexterity because uh, they were professional musician, and therefore uh, those sort of things are not immediately obvious to your, uh, to your medical team, so please, uh, we don't have you in front of us, so it's very hard to pick up on, on your concerns through meta-messages, and, and so you must uh, be able to speak up. And I, what I do when I start these uh, meetings with my own patients is I tell them up front that I will not be offended if they cut into my, into my spiel, my discussion, because, you know, I say to them, you know, I'm, I, I'm used to these sort of university professor one-hour lectures, so I'm, I can go, go on here for a while. So your job, and I will not be offended, is for you to speak up. So please be empowered to do so, and your medical staff will not be uh, put up with this because this is unfortunately one of the things that has to happen. Uh, and when we talk about technology and doing this, it's great if we can do a video visit, and that requires a smartphone. Uh, but if we can't do that, we'll do a telephone visit. And, of course, that limits our ability to see you. So be aware of, of that exact issue. I'll tell folks that there are three questions that you should have in your mind when you are talking to your doctor or your medical team. The first is, you know, uh, doctor, what's the plan? What do we, you know, so these are situations which we're uh, talking therapy now because obviously there are other types of visits, but in visits in which we're talking about therapeutics and therapy, uh, it's important to know what the plan is. Number two is, uh, uh, is what is the expectation? What are your expectations? of what should be happening here. I do this clearly for my patients. I say the following things or uh, what I think is going to happen. And I tell them that if that's not happening or th things opposite of what we lay down are happening, that's a phone call. That's a way of getting hold of us. Please get hold of us. Which leads us to the last question, which is how do I get hold of you uh, uh, or your team? And this is particularly important if something happens in off hours. All medical offices have a plan for off hours reaching people. And more importantly, uh, when you do call in, what is the best way to funnel through that, uh, that person, that team? Uh, in our practice, for instance, there are multitudes of, of providers, so it's important to know how to drill through the system. And there's this thing called, you know, sort of, uh, you know, where you get, you get into a circular loop with the, the phone and you're pressing numbers to try. Then you should never be in that situation, right? So that's the third question. So number one, uh, you know, be clear about the plan. Number two, um, uh, be, get a sense of what the expectation is uh, for the plan in question. And number three, how do I get hold of my team if I need to, right? So. Uh, 
uh, and also to also reiterate uh, what I just said before, which is to make sure you prioritize what's in what's important to you, because we are focused on different things, and uh, uh, and they're all directed to to getting a therapeutic effect, to looking after you medically, uh, but the personal things that are important to you are things you have to verbalize. So th- I want to talk about one specific situation, which is clinical trials. And what clinical trials are is a mechanism for us to uh, bring forth to you new therapies, new ways of doing things, uh, uh, and uh, new technology. And whenever, t- whenever we try to do something new that's not part of the proven paradigm, uh, we have to do it in a systematic way. That's important because that way we'll know at the end of the day whether this, this new maneuver we're trying is helping or not helping or perhaps even hurting. So we need to know. So things are on a protocol. So on clinical trials, things are not done willy-nilly. They are uh, uh, protocolized. They are written down. And one of the things you will get is a documentation about what happens, when it happens, and, uh, and how it happens. And all that is, in, is encapsulated in, in what we call a consent form, where we clearly lay, lay out what we're doing, how we're doing it, what's in it for you, who you can get hold of, and uh, then ask you for permission to move forward. All these things can be done electronically in one way, shape, or another. So that's very important uh, to, to ask about clinical trials or if you're involved in a clinical trial to make sure you know who the clinical trial team is and to ask for any relevant information that's important to you. So as I close out my part of the session, I think the important thing is to empower yourself, to take charge. This is particularly important because with video visits, we are losing that human touch, that contact, the glance at, at, at the person to see if you're understanding, the nodding of the head, the the discomfort, the shifting in the chair that you don't quite like this or something's happening, uh, or your ability to, to sort of interact in the human scale of the doctor. So that really mandates uh, 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 some of the things we talk about. But most importantly, uh, I will leave you with the thought that you should be empowered to, to, to uh, get what you need from the uh, in, in a televisit, and uh, a large part of that is is being organized, writing things down, and uh, making sure that if you don't uh, have what you need or don't understand what's going on, to ask about uh, about uh, fulfilling that knowledge gap. I'll leave you here and in good hands with uh, with Dr. Fleischman and Dr. Palos. Uh, coming up after me. Thank you for your time and your attention. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. That was really outstanding. That's a great way also to start this program today. A lot of wonderful information. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So many thanks. That's just wonderful. And our next speaker is um, Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Uh, Dr. Palos is really her own healthcare team. She's a doctor of public health. She's an oncology social worker, and she's also a registered nurse. Um, and she's former clinical protocol administration manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, author and researcher in healthcare disparities and survivorship. And Dr. Palos is going to be addressing an overview of healthcare team, who are the members of your healthcare team, who to include in these appointments, family members, partners, friends, caregivers, and long-distance caregivers, 
discussion of adherence, taking your time, your treatment on schedule, and balancing your quality of life with your healthcare needs. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for that introduction. And I also would like to welcome all of you uh, information seekers on this call and thank Dr. Wong for such an excellent update on the growth and the benefits and the challenges associated with um, telemedicine. As he mentioned, this method was implemented to minimize exposure to COVID. And because it's been so effective, it continues to be offered um, as an option to an in-person office visit. Dr. Fleischman later on is going to provide some guidelines to help prepare you for your telemedicine appointment. So I'm sure you'll have questions for both he and Dr. Wong during our Q&A. As Dr. Wong mentioned, today the focus of treatment seems to be shifting from purely disease management to a more patient-centered approach. This means that your care team is going to give greater attention to managing your treatment, uh, your medication schedules, addressing psychosocial and financial issues, building your patient empowerment, and helping to find a balance between your health care needs and the quality of life. All of, this, all of us on this call understand that cancer journey is a dynamic one, which begins at the moment of diagnosis and continues even when transitioning to being a long-term survivor of cancer. But there are a few core elements which are pretty constant throughout the experience. The first one is knowing your healthcare team. Deciding, the second one is deciding who will be supporting you during your appointments. Who do you bring? Three would be understanding why keeping your schedule for medications is so critical. And four, again, how do you balance your healthcare needs with your quality of life? In the remaining time, I'm going to elaborate a bit on each one of these points. So why is it important to know your healthcare team? We know that more and more larger medical centers and academic medical institutions are increasing providing care with multidisciplinary teams. So another term you may hear is intraprofessional. Cancer treatment is very complicated, so it includes different professionals who have different expertise or specialize in uh, different specialty uh, disciplines. So team members would include surgeons, radiation and medical oncologists, internists specializing in cardiac or endocrine conditions, um, experts in diagnostic imaging, uh, pathologists even to read some of the um, tissue samples and all the other things, that, the reports that come in. But there's also, those are pretty much the ones we think about right away, but other key members, and some of them are not always seen or uh, people that you interact with, would also include folks like advanced practitioners, which include nurse practitioners or physician assistants, uh, clinic nurses, nurse navigators, genetic counselors, physical therapists, hospital pharmacists, and of course, social workers. And I'll talk a little bit more about the role of the social worker uh, later in this discussion. Primarily, the goal of the team is to improve communication, coordination, and decision-making across all healthcare professionals. And that way, when they present uh, treatment plans or choices to you, you'll have the information that you need. But again, remember that point, the three goals of this are to improve communication, coordination, and decision-making. The members of the multidisciplinary teams often meet together as a group to discuss each patient and to really go over all the different aspects of treatment and services. So by working as a team, the different professionals can again better coordinate, coordinate care. 
So patients who attend a multidisciplinary clinic may be seen by several team members, which can be a bit overwhelming. Um, sometimes you'll see them all on the same day. You'll go from one visit to the next visit to the next visit, which in our campus is very daunting. So now we even have uh, little trolleys that take you back and forth. Or sometimes uh, it could be together as in rounds. And then um, sometimes you may even have to come back on, on different days. So it's important that you communicate with your healthcare team, whether you live in town, whether you live far away from uh, the hospital location or the treatment facility, uh, who can provide transportation, those types of things. They need to know up front whether transportation is going to be a challenge for you. So many experts now believe that the integrated team approach is the best way to manage cancer and improve patient outcomes. So how do you communicate or get to know your healthcare team member? One of the simplest ways is just to in introduce yourselves. This is especially important because there have been so many changes, or there can be so many changes in the healthcare team. I know on our campuses, we've had people that have become ill, and so uh, even doctors and nurses and all those uh, team members can get ill or have family crisis, so someone else may be called in. So it may not be the person that you're familiar with. So if a team member joins a discussion, introduce yourself and the family members who are with you at that appointment. Um, if a member doesn't introduce themselves, you can always take a pause and just ask them to introduce themselves. You can use a statement like, oh, excuse me, I must have missed your name, or something like that, just something to let them know that you, they, you think it's important to know who it is that you're speaking to. Another tip I'd like to um, share with the patients and uh, the callers on this, uh, on this call is to ask each healthcare provider for a business card. Um, they all should have one. You can keep a book of them or a log, whichever way you want to store them. And if they don't have a card, ask um, the nurse later on or the individual themselves to write their name down so you at least will have a name that you can associate with a particular visit or with particular questions. Now, one of the three questions Dr. Wong mentioned was one of the uh, important ones was knowing who to contact in case of emergencies. This is really vital because we don't, you know, if you have so many healthcare team members, who is it that you call and for what? Do you call the oncologist if you realize that, you know, you, you're having uh, nausea and vomiting that may not be related to chemotherapy because you're not on chemotherapy? Who do you call? It will help you to navigate through the system to minimize what um, Dr. Wong referred to as going through that calls of the buttons with a refer here, point, you know, choose number one option, number two option. It's also good to ask the team member, what's the preference for visits? Is it for them? You know, do they only want to see patients in person? Is that going to be necessary because of the treatment or whatever's going on at that moment in their care? Or can we have uh, televisits? And if it's going to be televisits, are they going to be Zoom calls? Are they going to be WebEx? Are they going to be iPhones? Are they, you know, what type of means is going to be used to do that communication? This information will help you be better prepared. The next element is to decide who to bring during your appointment. Now, there are a few strong reasons for discussing this topic as early as possible. The first one is this step is not as simple as one would imagine. It can cause conflict or cooperation among family members caregivers, friends, partners. So I think one of the things that's important is you want to take the person that's going to give you the most support during your appointment. 
So it's practical to discuss this topic as early as possible and to be pro proactive rather than reactive. Second, the other thing that you need to consider when you're talking about who you're going to bring to your appointment is as we increase the use of telehealth, it's, it's harder or more challenging to try to include more than two or three members on a call, especially if it's just a phone call. So it's good to know who you need to have there, who is critical to have there if you're going to have that type of situation. And three, if you do have in-person visits, the COVID guidelines that continue in many places for patients and family members are also going to have an impact on who, can, who you can include in your in-person um, appointments. So things you might consider would be uh, for your selection would be key factors such as, do you need someone as a second pair of ears to take notes or to uh, understand what's being said? Will you need the primary caregiver to be present if instructions for at-home care will be needed? And if there's a language difference, do you need to let the team know up front that a translator is going to be needed? In the past, the use of family conferences was a very useful option. But again, remember this type of conference will re require careful planning and getting everyone together, making sure each invitee has the logistic details, and if needed, identify the role of each family member or attendee, such as who's going to be the primary spokesperson for the family. Again, as mentioned, it's helpful to take a list of your questions or concerns. Um, and later on, other panel members can share tips on how to prepare for the telemedicine uh, visit. So by taking an active role in your health care, it'll help you and your health care team get the most out of your appointment. Remember to be prepared. The third uh, point I'd like to make is understanding why keeping your schedule for medications is critical. First, I'd like to provide a, a definition of adherence, which is a term you may hear. So we all have a similar understanding of it and the steps needed to achieve it. Adherence is the measure by which a patient follows the doctor's directions and recommendations. There's been some reports that say only about 50% of patients diagnosed with chronic diseases correctly follow their prescribed medication schedule. Why? Well, usually it falls into two groups, intentional or non-intentional. The intentional would be, examples would be, well, uh, the warrior patient who refuses to take any type of medication, either for personal or religious beliefs or a patient that wants to follow the treatment plan but intentionally cannot follow it because of system barriers, such as the medications being too costly or not being covered by insurance or being hard to obtain. So those are things that it's important, those type of reasons are important to discuss with your doctor upfront because sometimes it's really going to have a severe impact on your outcomes if you decide that you deliberately do not want to take your medications. There's also unintentional. For example, patients sometimes may decide not to follow the instructions because they are not, they're leery of the medication itself. They're afraid of the side effects. They have a, lot, a lack of understanding about the importance of the therapy. So those, again, are things that you need to discuss with your healthcare team. Sometimes, though, uh, not taking the medicine is not intentional. What happens if the incorrect medication dosage is taken? And that happens because the medication can mislead the patient or the caregivers. The same drug can occur in similar packages, but with different dosages and modes of administration. Or completely different drugs can almost look alike or have the identical name. So all of this shows that the problem is due to an error in treatment from the dosage of administration and method or incorrect identification of the medication to take. So again, if that occurs, it's, it's okay to 
to address those types of things ahead of time. And if it happens, then you need to alert your team as quickly as possible. The main cause, though, that folks say that they don't take uh, or they, it's hard to follow the treatment plan is distraction, especially when long-term uh, long therapies are included. You know, sometimes you take the same medications every day, um, day after day. It becomes a routine. Sometimes you, it reduces your attention to it. And then you can forget, did I take it or did I not take it? Um, so you may end up with two choices, both potentially dangerous. Do I skip a dose? or do I double the dose? So it's important to have a schedule of some type uh, and a way to maintain that schedule. So one of the ways to maintain your schedule is via electronic means. You can use your smartwatch. You can have Alexa talk to you if you'd like to her talking to you. Uh, you can use medication apps such as those, uh, some of them which are free like Mongo Health that is used for Android phones, uh, MetaSafe, DosePace, there is a free version or a more sophisticated version that you pay with. And there's my therapy for non-English speaking patients. They have over 30 different languages. A third way is just a traditional way. Use a visual hard copy of your appointments on a calendar. And again, you may wish to have this discussion with your healthcare team and caregiver uh, team. And again, to try to keep the same strategy throughout your cancer journey. Keep a schedule of refills when they're due. This is important, again, uh, especially if you're traveling or you, uh, you run and to avoid running out of medications. Keep a list in, close by in, in a wallet or uh, in your purse or a satchel of all the lists of medications you have, their dosages, time to be taken, and how it's supposed to be taken. Remember to write down the names and contact information of the physicians prescribing the medications, the pharmacy where the medications are obtained, and then include emergency information for each provider or pharmacy. You can also ask your physician to write a letter stating the prescribed medications um, that are uh, needed at that time, and then make copies of the letter so you can give to your primary caregiver or share even with your other members of the healthcare team. And then also communicate with your pharmacist. Ask them about their, their policies regarding refills, if you lose your meds or run out of pills while out of town. Some pharmacists will provide enough refills to last until you get back home. The fourth point I'd like to discuss is how to balance your healthcare needs with your quality of life. This is truly one of the biggest challenges to encounter during your cancer journey. Quality of life means different things to different people. So before I go any further, let me share a definition of quality of life. This term is used quite often by healthcare professionals. And usually what they're referring to is a person's overall satisfaction with their life and their sense of well-being. Several factors are included in this discussion, including health status, relationships with others, financial status related to employment and housing, and the ability to maintain a standard of living. When quality of life is referred to in healthcare, it refers to aspects related to emotional, physical, and social well-being. A cancer diagnosis often causes an individual to reflect on their lives and its meaning. Their response may be neg negative or positive, depending on what's going on in their life in that situation and what's going on with their family. Patients also have some psychosocial issues, such as being concerned about the recurrence of the disease or what the outcome of their journey will lead to. Advances in cancer has not, has not only focused on the physical aspects, but also on the psychosocial, financial, and social well-being, such as self-image. 
Fortunately, cancer programs now offer a multifaceted approach to address these factors. A good place to begin uh, discussing your quality of life is with your health care team. There may be a mental health counselor or professional, such as a psychologist or psychiatrist, to offer guidance on issues such as maintaining sexual intimacy, identifying social support networks, coping mechanisms that will help you. There are also complementary and alternative medicine programs or CAM programs. These programs include massage, tai chi, meditation, acupuncture, energy balance activities such as nutritional advice, uh, cooking classes even, and exercise regimens. Now the latter may seem a bit um, soft to some folks, but there is hardcore research that indicates that these types of methods really truly have a positive effect on outcomes. Social workers can provide valuable information on back to work or re-entry uh, into the workforce programs or identify opportunities to obtain counseling to address financial hardships. There are also programs to support the patients, family members, or caregivers, since we all recognize that cancer affects the, uh, the individual as well as the village. Dr. Messner is going to discuss some of the online programs available through Cancer Care. There are other sites to explore online, such as Live Strong, CancerNet, Cancer Support Community, and of course, the National Cancer Institute. It's important to remind yourself to maintain a balance. Plan ahead and prioritize depending on your situation. And my last but most important tip is to remain, is to maintain regular and open communication between your healthcare team, your pharmacy or pharmacist, your caregivers, and the key individual, you, the patient. My colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you and the suggestions you may wish to share about this area of concern. Thanks so much for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. This concludes my remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really superb, as always, and really um, addressing a lot of very important issues for our participants today, and also highlighting the fact that there are uh, bilingual uh, social workers who can help them and staff who can help them with their concerns, that um, Spanish is a language that is actually available in many centers, um, uh, both at their cancer center and also um, many nonprofit organizations, as are other languages as well. So um, for anyone on this call today who is more comfortable in another language, just let your healthcare team know. And they will try to, either there may be members of the staff there um, who can um, speak to you in your language that you're more comfortable with, or um, actually, um, or may be able to refer you for additional uh, help. Stay with that center, but help you to get some additional services. They also have um, translation services, but it's awfully nice if someone is bilingual and can really help you with your concerns and questions. So thank you so much, Dr. Palos. And I know there'll be questions to you during the Q&A. That was really outstanding. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing, discussing guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telehealth medicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, follow-up care, and discussion of open notes. Your follow-up appointments and care questions between telehealth and telemedicine appointments. How to how your other chronic illnesses may impact your cancer treatment, reducing harmful drug interactions, and suggestions to improve communication with your healthcare team who 
who to contact evenings, weekends, and holidays with their contact information. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you, everybody. Um, you've gotten very good information so far about uh, telehealth. Uh, uh, we in the medical community have been doing these visits um, more than we ever had imagined for a little uh, about two years now and we've learned a lot I think we're a lot better at it than we were at the beginning but uh, it's still for many of us not the same as being in the room uh, and I think mo most patients tell me the same thing so uh, preparing for telehealth um, often means uh, apart from the list of questions that the previous presenters have discussed that you make sure you have a quiet place uh, because you'll be connecting either by telephone or by some sort of device, um, a smartphone with video capabilities or a tablet or even a laptop or desktop computer that has microphone speakers and a camera. Uh, so having a quiet place is a good idea. Uh, before you have your first appointment, please communicate with the office of the provider and make sure you know um, if they're going to be calling you or if you're going to be calling them, and exactly how to sign on to the call. Um, some calls are, are done over um, non-encrypted um, video uh, systems or platforms, as the tech people say, something like FaceTime for Apple users or um, over Zoom. Um, but some of the electronic medical record systems that many of the physicians' offices and hospitals use have a video capability built in. So it's important to know how you'll be connecting. And many offices will actually have you do a dry run maybe the day before so that uh, you can connect as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, having the, your questions available is a good thing. One of the things that we have benefited from, all of us, in the, using telehealth is that if you have a relative or a good friend who needs to be part of the discussion, either as a scribe or to help ask questions uh, or just to listen to remind you of the um, issues that are discussed in the call and what the conclusions and the next steps are, they can participate from another city, another state, or even another country as long as they have your permission and they have web access access to the to the internet so um, this has really helped uh, quite a bit of people because normally the, those folks would have to travel to the city uh, that you're in uh, to the place where you're having your appointment and now they can uh, participate remotely so this is one of the good things that have come out of uh, using telehealth um, often uh, the information um, that used to be on paper in those large charts that people are used to seeing over many years are now all electronic. And one of the advantages is that uh, through the electronic medical record system, you can often message your providers, put in a message, have them reply back. You get a notification either in electronic mail or as a text message or a phone call that a reply has been entered into the system. And a number of things can be handled, whether it's during office hours or sometimes even uh, off hours on nights or weekends or holidays uh, through this electronic system. 
many of the systems also allow all of us patients to be able to see the notes that our providers have written. And um, the general name for this is Open Notes. But since each of the companies that uh, that provides these platforms to providers and hospitals is a proprietary, and uh, each has their own way of doing things in order for them to make their product as unique as possible. Um, they're, they're called different things in different systems. Sometimes there could be a lot of misunderstanding when reading these notes. Um, this is um, in March of 2022. In today's New York Times um, electronic edition, the online edition, there's an article about this, which um, shows how it's easy to misunderstand some of the things that are written. So, for example, most of the time when we providers write notes, we don't just sit and type. There are a lot of choices to put in with what are called drop-down menus where uh, there are, are words, suggested words to put into a sentence. So in the newspaper today, somebody um, felt that uh, it wasn't fair that they were called disheveled because their shirt was sticking out. Uh, that shirt sticking out may not be an option uh, when we're writing the notes, but that, that's one kind of misunderstanding. Uh, a lot of abbreviations that we use as providers, um, as second nature, are often misunderstood. The one that was quoted in today's paper is the one that's F slash U, which would be a terrible thing to put in a note, um, but it really stands for follow-up, and it's um, nothing bad. But people who aren't used to reading medical charts often don't know that abbreviation, and often people can be offended by that. So please um, either read these things with help. If you have any questions um, before you assume that it's something bad, please ask your provider. Um, in many offices, there are um, provider extenders, often uh, physician's assistants or advanced practice nurses, oncology nurses, and all the oncology specialties, social workers. There are a number of people who can help uh, weed out uh, the, the meanings of these, of these notes and make sure that um, you understand and your questions are answered. It's real important not to just take these things um, at face value because many of the abbreviations are not used in every everyday English. Questions between appointments can be handled by phone as usual or through these electronic media um, as I described before. Um, Dr. Messner asked to speak a little bit about other chronic illnesses, and that is really important because most of us, when we get cancer, um, whether we're younger or mostly as older adults, have other illnesses. So, for example, someone who has um, high blood sugar or diabetes, even if they're not on insulin or they're not on medication to lower their blood sugar, if they are asked to take some um, prednisone or corticosteroid, that can increase the blood sugar. doesn't mean they become diabetic. It just means their blood sugar was high for a short period of time. That's extraordinarily confusing for people. And it's important for us as providers and for all patients and their caregivers to understand exactly um, where there's an overlap between a previously held and chronic or and present health condition and the treatment that is being provided. Um, so it's important just to have a good history, um, to have your providers know exactly 
um, what kind of health challenges you've had apart from the cancer so the treatment can be tailor-made. There are hundreds of these types of examples. In addition, there are some interactions between drug supplements, especially supplements. So um, most drug-drug interactions, all of us are familiar with, but because um, there are people often take supplements and do not list them because they feel that they're not prescription items, they buy them in the store on their own, that they um, are safe because they're sold without a prescription and without any sort of oversight, those can um, interact with a number of things that we use uh, during cancer treatment. Um, I don't mean to single any of them out, but something called St. John's wort is one of them. Um, many men take um, uh, things for prostate uh, health uh, that um, it can be a problem if you have kidney stones. Again, there are many, many, many of these um, of these examples. So please make sure that when you give your uh, medication list, that you list all of the supplements, herbs, even specialties um, in, uh, that many people use, so that the providers understand exactly what you're taking and um, make sure that there's uh, no overlap with any of the treatments that we use in cancer. Many of the larger centers have extremely knowledgeable pharmacists um, who are um, really exceptional at sorting all this out. If not, your local pharmacist can certainly look it up if they're not used to um, having that type of question, but it's a very important uh, thing to do. Um, the, the other, uh, before I stop, the other issue that we've been asked to, co to cover is about uh, who to call when there's a problem. Because cancer is a team effort and many uh, providers are involved, often simultaneously, it's hard to know who to call. Um, in general, if it's um, right before, during, or after surgery, it's the oncology surgeon, surgical oncologist. If it's uh, before, during, or after uh, chemotherapy or targeted therapy or any other oral or intravenous therapies, that would be the medical oncologist. During radiation therapy, obviously, the radiation oncologist. Um, if um, in many places people work together as a team and they communicate with each other, um, and then all that information needs to go back to your primary care doctor. Again, in the systems that have electronic medical records, often those are viewed very easily by the primary care providers who have access to that system or who you give access to that system. And, so, and it's very helpful to them to see what's been done, and they can then communicate with the other providers if they have a question about the implications of your treatment for your future health care and what tests need to be done uh, to monitor you and, and, and those sorts of things. If that is not the case and everybody is not part of the same electronic health system documents, uh, lots of paper needs to be um, uh, changed hands. Often that can be done electronically with your permission. Sometimes um, uh, you can even take a, an electronic copy from one doctor to or one to provider's office to another. Sometimes it can be sent. It really depends upon the circumstances and um, if um, methods of sending really protect all of our personal health information. Um, I, those are the topics that I was asked to cover, and I'll turn this back over to Dr. Messner. Okay, hi. Um, okay, and so... Um... Uh, 
Thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman, for your excellent um, presentation, um, really covering um, this very important topic and really in, in great detail. Um, and I'm just going to say um, a few words about Cancer Care Services, and then we're going to move to polling. So let me just move on to that. Um, so um, Cancer Care is a national organization, and we provide free programs and services to people throughout the country. And so um, to say um, that, um, so that we offer those services um, actually uh, and all over the country. And so what are those services? Well, many people call our Hope Line. It's an 800 number. And um, they speak with an oncology social worker when they call. And usually people present a concern or topic that they have. And then the oncology social worker will, of course, address that concern and go up with them all the other services we offer. So what are those services? So one thing we offer that's really important to people is we offer financial, practical, and co-payment assistance. So particularly at this time, of course, um, finances are a big issue for people. And this type of uh, practical assistance is very important to people. We also offer a chance to talk with an oncology social worker to get support and to help us get their questions answered. And we also offer online support groups. Now, online support groups, people like them a lot because, first of all, they're not on a specific time. And so people anywhere in the United States can participate in these online support groups. And there are different time zones, but you can post anytime you want. And they are moderated by an oncology social worker. So there is someone who is kind of keeping track of everything. And those groups um, are for people of all different walks of life. So what, what do I mean by that? So we have groups for young adults, for middle-aged adults, for older adults. We have groups for specific types of cancers that people may be coping with. We have groups for caregivers, for partners, um, and for um, people who are just coping with um, issues that they would like to get some help with. We also have something called coping circles. And coping circles are national workshops that people can participate in. And they are a chance to talk about um, things that really help people to cope with cancer, the emotional, social, and practical issues that they may be confronting. And um, in addition to that, um, we, of course, have these workshops, about 75 of these per year, and we also offer uh, publications that you can access from our website. For those of you who are listening international, although it's true that our, uh, our um, support services and our uh, financial assistance and practical assistance is available to people in the United States, nevertheless, you can email our website, you can go to our website and you can post a question and one of our oncology social girls will get back to you and they will address your question or concern. So um, that's really, um, uh, so that's really important. Um, so I think that um, we want to be sure that, uh, that for international participants, if you do have a question or concern, we will get you the resource that you need. That's really important. Um, and for people in the United States, we also have a case management unit, and those, that staff will help you. If we don't have the resource, we'll connect you to a resource as well that might be able to help you, and we'll take you there virtually. We won't just give you a list of places to contact. We'll actually go with you there. And now, um, before we move on to the Q&A, I want to just ask you a few questions, and then we'll move on to the questions um, and uh, and our speakers will be able to address your questions. So please get your questions ready. 
Um, so um, this first question um, is, and those are, again, this is for people who are live streaming the program. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of who the members of the healthcare team are and tips to improve communication with them in the, in the context of COVID-19 and experience. And one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments and who to include in these appointments. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to utilize the tips and suggestions of my healthcare team to discuss treatment options, side effects, pain management, other chronic illnesses, and how to reduce harmful drug interactions that may impact cancer treatment with my healthcare team. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. Our next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the technology I need to set up a telemedicine appointment with my, health, with my doctor's office and who to contact evenings, weekends, and holidays with their contact information. And this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the importance in participating in clinical trials as a treatment option. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I wanna thank everyone for participating in these questions. It really gives us a chance to have a really sense of what you have learned during the program. It helps us also to, um, and as we plan programs for 2022, to really um, plan them to best meet your needs. And now um, we're going to have time for questions. I'm going to ask Dee Tamara to bring all of our speakers on board, explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Um, Dee Tamara. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And we have an interesting question from one of our participants, from our online participants. Um, um, and I'm going to, this question really may um, actually, um, I may, may, I'm going to start with Dr. Wong with this question, but then I'm going to open it to others as well. I have run into a problem where my oncology team is in Maryland, is in Maryland and I reside in Delaware. There is a problem in that they cannot bill across state borders. Um, is this a state law issue or insurance? Does Medicare get rid of this issue? Is this something that anyone uh, familiar with Dr. Wong or? Yeah, let me, let me start. And uh, so there are rules of how doctors can conduct uh, 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 their business and how they can look after patients. Every state, for instance, requires doctors to be registered in it and to have a license to practice. So I myself carry licenses in more than one state for that reason because I practice in other places. Those laws and regulations regulate how doctors uh, can uh, do their practice. And before COVID, uh, you know, the, the regulations were pretty much hodgepodge and some were more permissive than others during COVID. Uh, there were some state legislation changes, and state governing boards made changes uh, to liberalize it, acknowledging that 
uh, it was difficult for patients to come and see their doctors, you know, especially as they cross state lines. And uh, here in Texas, at one point, the, the governor closed the Texas borders temporarily as we try to get control of our COVID situation. Of course, that's different now. And likewise, the, the rules have changed. So first of all, uh, these are rules and regulations of state medical boards. Medicare uh, may not have jurisdiction over them. Number two is uh, these are changing all the time. So what may have been possible before uh, may have changed in, uh, to, in such a way that's not possible today. So, uh, and lastly, all medical offices try to find some way to accommodate uh, their, um, uh, their patients. And I'll reach back out to your team to see what has been happening recently because these are changing on, a, on a, almost like a daily basis. So I'll leave it at that and, and look forward to my colleagues weighing in on this matter. Would anyone else like to weigh in on this? Thank you, Dr. Dr. Long. Sure. I, I I, I'll, go ahead, Dr. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, it, it, it's a very complicated question because uh, it's, a, as Dr. Wong said, uh, where our licenses cover, um, number one, and number two, the kind of insurance you have. Um, the federal government um, has tried to ease some of these things, but the state regulations still um, supersede what the federal government has done as far as licenses. There is an attempt to network many states in a, a license network so that if you're licensed in one of those states, uh, you're licensed in the group of states, but that is um, still not as popular as it should be and really varies state by state. I just, uh, th I think both um, Dr. Wong and Dr. Fleischman addressed the legal implications of it, but I would just like to remind our callers, it's okay to ask questions about financial needs or um, problems that are there. Sometimes people feel a little uncomfortable discussing that, especially if it's their oncologist, they don't want to bother them. But I, we, we are learning as a team that you know, we need to address these issues and be practical about them. So if your physician or your oncologist doesn't have uh, the answer, they are very good about referring you to a person who can. It could be the business office. It could be a case manager. Or, again, it could be the social worker. My message to you is do not be reluctant to bring this up if it is something that is going to be a challenge or a barrier to you obtaining the best treatment that you need. Uh, um, I'll stop there. That's so important, and everyone's point is really important. But of course, it is true that people are often concerned about bringing up anything financial with their healthcare team, and it's really important to do that. Um, and also, I think, as, as has been said earlier, I think by Dr. Palos, that there are members of the healthcare team do include financial specialists, people who can help with those questions, um, so that that's another option as well. Um, so now we have. Um, more questions. Um, so the next question would be, um, so it's a similar question. Um, during the beginning of the pandemic, I was able to have a televisit with a doctor in a different state. I can't do that anymore. What can I do now? Um, would anyone like to cut? It's a similar question, but slightly different. Do you want me to start, uh, Dr. Mesner? Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Wong. So so this happens a lot to me. So in my own practice, uh, we, we have a large geography of, of, of encatchments so patients come from uh, other state, other country. Um, when it becomes in, you know, impossible to do a televisit, 
uh, you know, we we look at the possibility of transferring care back out. I mean, it, it has to do the of what you know. I always say it's it's the it's the art of the possible, right? So what can we do? If it turns out that it's not possible, it is through state legislation or the patients, be, uh, you know, has issues on their end that makes it impossible for them to come down. And this is not always the patient's fault, obviously. As I mentioned to you, there are changes that happen during COVID and even post-COVID, which makes it really difficult. And that includes, you know, driving, flying, so on and so forth. So uh, we try to find a, uh, someone that we can work with closer to home. Uh, we're making the assumption that this is specialized care, and so it depends on what type of specialized care we're talking about. Uh, for instance, if it's a specific surgical maneuver, then obviously that's very provider-dependent, and you, you're going to have to find a way to work your way through the, the maze of, of regulations and insurance issues to make that happen. If it's something less uh, sort of uh, specific than that, then we'll try to find a way to make it uh, happen closer to home. You might reach out to your provider because we as physicians uh, oftentimes work with other physicians in other places. So we have our own little uh, personal network of people that we, we know, and we try to make that happen. Now, this is a very hard question, and it's, there's no one-size-fit-all. And I've given you the most general impression, but it's the details that really matter here. Uh, and so uh, really reach out to your uh, physicians that have been looking after you. We have an obligation to transfer care even in a situation where we personally can't look after someone for whatever reason, and that's built into sort of our ethos of looking after patients. Excellent. Anyone want to add to that? Or Excellent. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yes? No, it's okay. okay. Um, and the another question we have is, um, and this one... Um, for um, Dr. Fleischman, are telemedicine appointments shorter than in-person appointments? Well, I, I think that depends. <laughs> it depends on what you need to cover. Um, new new consultations, and in my experience, are probably equal to what would happen in the office. Some uh, follow-ups can be long or can be short. It depends. Uh, really depends upon what you need to cover with the provider, what questions you have, and what things the provider needs to check that can be done electronically without being able to examine something. And sometimes that'll take a little longer than uh, if you were in the office and uh, part of the examination could be done in person. And here's another interesting question for Dr. Palos. I have a telehealth visit with my doctor, and my daughter, who lives in a different state, would like to join. And we've often said during our programs that it's nice to have people often, um, the long-distance um, caregiver, to be joining these calls. Um, how does it work? Do we use the same link? Do I need to let my doctor know first? Um, and so is this still possible, or have things changed? Oh, uh, that is a, an excellent question because there are so much. There is so much long distance caregiving, and family members, you know, are up, far apart. So one of the first things I would do is find out what your provider is, um, what type of resources they have in their office. For example, if it's um, a, a doctor or a doctor's office is in a rural, isolated area, they may not have all the whistles and bells that someone in a medical academic center would have. They may just use a phone, you know, and if it's just a phone, are you going to be able to FaceTime with that phone or 
Um, do you have some, you add a line or you add a person to that phone call? So it's important to find out what is the means that they're going to communicate if you're doing a telemedicine visit. The second thing is then to find out what you have and what your family member has available to them. Is it, if one has an Android phone and one has an iPhone, it's going to be very challenging to try to get those type of calls set up. The third thing to do is try to explore other um, options. I, I know uh, I've had some families um, go with Zoom calls or WebEx calls if they want to include more than one member. I had one family that had someone on the East Coast, someone on the West Coast, and then someone here in the Houston area. So um, we, you know, they decided, one of the daughters decided they would just go ahead and do uh, Zoom, and so they set up an, an account, and now they're, they are very comfortable, all of them, um, working with the Zoom uh, feature and having those discussions. And they almost have, like, family conferences with that. So, you know, you can explore what is going to be best and most economical and feasible for you and what you're going to feel most comfortable with. And it's not only the family members that need to be most comfortable, but also the patient themselves. I really appreciated Dr. Wong's um, story about his 90-year-old mom learning how to uh, use, you know, do a televisit and learn the, the Internet tools that are there. Um, so some people are willing to learn those types of things and some people are not. So I would start with your physician's office, do an assessment of what resources they have, what resources you have, what resources your family member has, and see what type of things will be consistent and compatible, and then um, go from there. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. And um, this will be the last question uh, for Dr. Wong here. Um, can a telemedicine appointment replace an in-person appointment? How can my doctor check for blood pressure, et cetera? Do you want to comment on that, Dr. Wong? I know that's not... Sure. So that is one of the weaknesses. Uh, so there are, of course, technologic things. We, we do have procedures in which uh, patients have to uh, be monitored closely after certain procedures, uh, post-operative situations uh, or after a, a discharge for a critical condition. And we, we are experimenting, uh, maybe the word experimenting is a little harsh, but, you know, sort of uh, in-home monitoring, things like that. But really, this is a situation where if you feel that things are not stable from the physical point of view, that you really do need an inpatient, a certain patient, a in-person in visit. There's no substitute for uh, an in-person assessment, physical examination, and so on and so forth. We can look at things in the televisit, but it doesn't mean that things are going well. And when I teach uh, students about this, I say it's, a, it's like taking a picture of my car. It looks perfectly fine, uh, you know, four wheels, steering wheels, but how do you know it runs well, right? So there are functional things that are impossible to really assess uh, from a distance. Uh, I, I remind folks that doing imaging and scans, people say, oh, my CAT scan is perfect. That is correct. Uh, but how well things work, your lungs may look perfectly fine on a CAT scan, but, uh, but we cannot see on a CAT scan things like wheezing, shortness of breath, and things like that, which are symptoms and signs. So, uh, the, 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 again, the details matter, and it takes a little bit of judicious uh, sort of um, uh, to, and back, to and fro, so when I'm on a visit with a patient, televisit that is, and I suspect that we need something uh, in person, I'll say that. I think uh, you know I'll say something like, I think the next time we meet, or uh, or something like, I think it's we should get you in to see us sooner than later, kind of thing. So um, again, it comes to what I say, which is to voice your concerns. 
Uh, an example would be, doctor, thanks, thanks for telling me my CAT scans are perfect, but I still feel terrible. A common thing I do is I walk, even when the patient's with me and they have a perfect scan, I'll work in a, walk in a room and say, I know my mid-level practitioner saw you, but uh, your labs are perfect, your scans are perfect. I just want to make sure I put eyes on you and make sure you're perfect, right? And so that interaction is important, and it reflects the weak point of telemedicine. So please be empowered to speak up and say, listen, I, it, it's not perfect. Something's not right. Thank you so much. This has been an extraordinary call. I have to say that, um, you know, our speakers have been terrific, and also our participants have asked really such great questions. I really want to thank everyone. This uh, this has really been um, a program that, you know, we've talked about this in other programs where we haven't actually focused only on this topic, and it makes me realize that it's an important topic to focus on. Now, we... Um, we did say this would be an hour program, and we have run slightly over, so I just want to comment on that. First of all, I want to, again, thank our speakers, thank our participants, and I also want to um, address those who did not have a chance to ask a question, since we would be on this call for at least another hour addressing everyone's question. So for those of you who asked a question, who have a question yet to ask, or who are thinking of a question you'd like to ask, please take them back to your healthcare team. Um, because they know you the best and, and address your questions with them and, um, and take what you've learned here as you ask the questions so that you know that there are different members of the team who can help you with different aspects of the questions that you may have. Um, but that's very important. Um, we do not want anyone to feel that, again, because your questions, we answer them in a general way, but they they aren't addressing specifically your, we don't have, the, the speakers obviously do not have access um, to all your information about you, and so it's really important that your healthcare team, they know everything about you in terms of, or they know as much as they know at this point in time, let me put it that way, about you, and to some extent they are the best able to address your questions even more fully. And so um, that's important to do as well. Also, um, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with, um, you know, with, um, with cancer, with um, your concerns, with questions you may have about telehealth, telemedicine, or other questions you may have. You are now part of a community of support. And when, after this program, you'll be receiving a survey monkey evaluation. And in that evaluation, we also will include any resources that we may have mentioned today that um, we think would be useful to you, and even resources that actually um, perhaps are in the materials that were sent to you, we'll send them to you again. So it's not, we appreciate your feedback on the evaluation, but we also want to give you some additional resources that you can access and utilize. Again, I just want to thank all of you for participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.